Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 610 Media acknowledges the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded the Gubby Gubby people, and we pay our respects to elders past, present, and future. A quick disclaimer before we start. Tear It Down is a podcast about all things mental health. Therefore, it may contain coarse language, adult themes, and subject matter that may be distressing to some listeners, such as suicide, self-harm, and references to drug and alcohol abuse. Please, listen at your own discretion. If you yourself are struggling, you can reach out to Lifeline on 131114. Hello and welcome back to Tear It Down. Tearing the stigma down of mental health, one story at a time. I'm Jamie Pulse and this is episode nine. If I could please just ask a quick favour, two minutes of your time. If you like the show, please go and give Tear It Down a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to me. Thanks in advance. A few years back, I listened to an audiobook called The Seventh Circle. It's a crazy story about this bloke who goes to Afghanistan ends up killing a guy in self-defence, gets a death sentence, spends seven years in a notorious prison called Polycharki, a place you definitely do not want to be, lives a hellish life for seven years. Long story short, through the help of an American lawyer, he gets out and he's now alive and well. Well, today I'm speaking to the author of that book. His name is Robert Langdon. He spent 15 years in the Australian Army before moving into private security where he worked in Iraq and Afghanistan. It was in Afghanistan that he found himself in that strife, and he's here to tell us all about it now. There's some extra warnings for this episode. You will hear graphic details of violence, death, and war. You have been warned. So welcome to the show, Rob. Hey, good day, mate. How are you? It's great to talk to you because uh, I'm telling you off air that uh, I've read your book or listened to your book twice now, and I find it, it's called The Seventh Circle. Um, it's crazy, mate. It is a nightmare. Um, on steroids. It is absolutely horrendous what you've been through. Thank you for your service uh, as a you know, former defence personnel. 15 years yeah. in the Australian Defence Force, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Well, just short of. I think I missed it by a couple of weeks. Something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, thanks, thanks for your um, service to our country. And anyway, we'll get into some, some story in a minute, but uh, whereabouts are you now and what's happening with you now? Um, I'm in I'm in Central South Australia. I got stuck here. I came back to make a bit of money. I got I sort of shafted a bit. I did, went and did a job in Iraq and with an Iraqi security company, and they I wasn't happy with the way things are going. I pointed out all their failings, and it was for a British petroleum company. Okay, <laughs> um, that was that was subcontracting a Chinese petroleum company to do the, the heavy lifting they just had the, the rights so everything had to be above board the Iraqis didn't want to play the game 
and just wanted me to bullshit. Last time, last time I got asked to do that, I ended up in jail for quite some time. So I wasn't real keen on it. No. Nah, so, um, so yeah. you went back. You went so, back to the Middle East after last time. You've been back to work. Oh yeah. Oh shit. Well, what else am I going to do? Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I, they owed me quite a bit of money, and they never paid me, and so I was a bit skint. So I, I bit the bullet, and there was another guy who was he got touched me via Instagram, and he was. He was specialised. He was X three RAR, X seven RAR, engineer in between, um, X recon guy as well. And he said, "Look, if you ever over here, look us up, and I can probably set you up with a job out the mines." And it's near where I grew up anyway, so I know the country. I haven't been back in a long time. And yeah, the day after I sorted sorted out all my sorted out the bank, COVID hit. Yeah, and we I haven't been home since, so I'm sort of stuck here now for the duration. Uh, but I have a job, and it's a little bit freer up here than it is in other places around the around the country. So, in the sense that people play the game and get on with things, as opposed to just causing shit. But you know. yeah, so where are you based if you're not in um, Australia? Then um, I usually live in Cape Town in South Africa because it's yeah, I just like it. People got the right attitude over there. Still, there there is no safety net at all, which I like. It's um, it. It's Want a little, bit, you it's a little bit more real. So, yeah, exactly. And yeah. here, everybody whinges about everything, but they don't realise how lucky they actually are. Even though they don't have much in the way of, um, they do technically, but it's a, it's not written in stone. The the freedoms that everyone thinks they have and they actually don't it's not written down anywhere which annoys me especially when you know that a lot of the stuff that i did previously i was um you sort of grow up thinking oh yeah this is the right thing to do and you realize hang on a minute um none of that actually exists no in this country but it's not written down anywhere there's just some but there's my my thing on the referendum for public is yeah that's what i think that's how the way we should go it should be looked at, but people are worried about other things. So, yeah, I don't, I don't live here. Simple as that. All right. So you wrote your book, The Seventh Circle. So basically, you were a, a, an ex-army officer, and you went over to Afghanistan. Long story short, over to Afghanistan, you were doing private security there, and you got into a bit yep. of strife, and you ended up in, um, yeah. in in prison. Do you want Do you want to walk us through that, mate? Yeah. Yeah. Um. I was. Yeah. I. I I'd been working in Iraq for a, a fair while. Um, I was one of the first ones that went over early days in the the gold rush years, and it was yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, getting paid a, a ridiculous amounts of money for some of the work, which was the first job I did was pretty. It was a straight up bodyguard job, essentially, but it was just a lot bigger teams and a lot more assets on the ground, and it was fairly important. It was mixed up with the elections, so. That was a good job, and that's why I cut my teeth on and made a bit of a name for myself. And I moved on to other shit for the same company, um, which was a little little bit more full-on, and there was a lot of Australians there um, from over Perth. So, you know, a lot of them I'd worked with before in the unit. And um, we it, it was, yeah, a, a learning experience. I learned a hell of a lot on that job. And um, after that, after I sort of, just had enough of being over there and I ended up going back to South Africa for a while and taking it easy and then ended up 
picking a job, uh, getting a job in in or in Afghanistan because basically change the scenery and want to do something a bit different. And um, yeah, the outfit I was working with wasn't it had had potential, but Afghanistan being Afghanistan and some of the people they had working with this company, it, did, it, was, it wasn't going to pay out play out that way. And um, purely just just the levels of corruption in the joint. You know, it is insane. On on, and I'm not just talking about Afghans. I'm talking about NGOs. I'm talking about expats over there, um, other companies. You know, even to extent the military and government. You know, that, that is, it's across the board, and and yeah, it just went pear shaped. Whole thing. People went. People went willing to take responsibility for things and. And just turn a blind eye to a lot of the nepotism and corruption going on, and it's it, it, which surprisingly enough brings us to where we are right in the last week with what's happened over there. Yeah, and anyone is anyone that says said, "Oh, I couldn't see it coming." Said, Seriously, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, <laughs> come on, man. Yeah. Anyone who's been there will tell you it's only going to end one way. It's as simple as that. You know? But I mean, so you're so you work for a company called Four Horsemen. Four Horsemen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, part of your job was to to basically escort convoys, right? To, mm, to that's that's what I started. That's yeah, that's what I started <laughs> out doing. Um, but due to certain factors, one being that I've back then anyway, maybe now still, I have a limited amount of uh Patience? <laughs> well, no, no, it's not that. Um, no, I, I, my, my personal safety doesn't really factor in a lot of my decision-making. Uh, it's, it's a bad hangover from um, being with one hour, I think, in the 90s because we were just, yeah, we'll do it. And it was just, oh, okay, maybe we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> so yeah. Things are going pear-shaped. But you sort of just keep the wheels on you. You make it. So the boss, the, the owner of the company was the ex-Special Forces guy. And he he loved my attitude towards things. He loved how well I got on with with the Afghans, how I, I treated them differently to everybody else, you know. It's, and because that's the the Green Berets whole thing over there is embedding yourself with the local populace and training them up and then setting them loose to fight their own wars, which is a good model. But anyway, so he he essentially gave me my gave me a position in the company. And it sounded really good. It looks good on business cards. We still have a few somewhere and impressing people. But end of the day, it just meant I was I was his chief head kicker and sorted problems out. It, it was I did some pretty crazy shit. Um, yeah, I did a lot of recovery work. If there was a contact and the Yanks got stuff left behind, I'd go and help them. I'd, if I knew where it was, I'd try and get it out. We get paid for it or blow it up or whatever. Um, I ran my own guys because I just didn't trust anyone. The company hired again; they were hiring from the wrong tribes, and I figured that if you're fighting Taliban, they're predominantly Pashtun. You hire Pashtun guys, you can sort of understand what's going on the radios, and there might be some relations out there, and they yeah. might have to save your fucking life. So, I, yeah, I looked at things like that. I, I didn't. I didn't see it as just all just drive around a little bubble of America, and if we get into trouble, we'll just run away. Um, 
and I went back to get a few truck drivers and some pretty bad stouches we had and, and um, that made a name for me amongst them. So that was sort of there was, there was days there where I'd say hung over and they just rolled me out in a car and they go, look, there he is, he's here and he's going to save you all from the Taliban and then I'd go home and go to sleep for a day just just, just so the trucks would go because, oh, no, we, we want him to come with us because he'll help us if we get into trouble. Um, yeah, and, you know, most of the time I didn't go. I was just like, I'm going to drop it and then I'll go home. Um, yeah, so and I did some other stuff for them, um, helping the military out, getting the places to drop shit off. No, it, it was good. I had, to, I had some fun. I put a lot of noses out of joint doing it because, yeah, I just worry about a job. I don't care about people's egos. Probably should have a bit. Probably would have saved me. Yeah, saved me about seven years of grief. But, but um, yeah. Well, just leading up to that seven years of grief, uh, you talk about doing a trip um, just for, for the audience to hear how serious this is. You do a trip mm-hmm. to Kandahar with your boss. John Allen. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 And like that you, was, that, you, yeah. you say it's like just days of fighting and days of nearly dying and 10 people of, yeah. on your crew get killed and it's just yeah, freaking it was, hectic. That, 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 trip, that trip was a little bit mental when you're like burying people every night. It was like, this is fucked. Yeah, <laughs> so no, there was no, it was like Mad Max, but it was it, like to walk well, us through a day. What I, actually happens? I, I, I don't know what was going on at that time, but that was that was the point where he he sort of let me loose because I was I was with him in the car all the time, and he saw that I I, I wasn't particularly worried about getting shot at or anything. I actually quite enjoyed getting in the stouches, so it's always good. It's, it's fun until it gets a bit close, and then oh okay, now it's not fun anymore. Um, but that fight for some reason there was a lockdown on all the provinces because there was a big push by the Taliban at the time. I can't remember why it happened. This is uh, like, I don't know, about this time of the year. It would, it would have been around, it would have been because of September 11, I think that was the whole thing behind it. So we're coming in, just coming up on winter. This is 2008 or 2009 too, right? 2008, yeah. Yeah. So everybody's getting their last kicks in before they piss off uh, to Pakistan for the summer, uh, for the winter. That whole province was locked down tight, and then Kandahar was as well. And the Marines were jumping up and down because I was sitting. We'd been helping set up Bastion at the time. Bastion was still getting built, and the Paris were running all the, the team houses down in the south. So they had that place sewn up. They, they were doing some crazy shit. We were having, having some fun. The Brits had that end of it stitched up, but coming down into it, there was a mixture of um, European units, NATO units, and that. So it was you get some that are really good. And you get um, others that are not so good, yeah, like the Turkish. I'll just throw that out there, the Turkish. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and we just they, they couldn't get anything down there, and and the boss went, "Well, we can get it down there." And and it's like this convoy of a hundred trucks to build this marine base out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm I'm sure that they just picked a point on a map and said, "Land the helicopter there, and we'll build a base." And from the minute we got. To Salah, which is just out of it's about one two hours out of Kabul. It was just on fucking young and old. It was stupid. I, I was I was expecting at some points I was expecting to see guys like pole vaulting over the top of the the petrol the, the diesel trucks and shit like in Mad Max because it, it, no it was just fucking insane. Yeah. People were shooting at us 
I don't even know what half the time I was shooting at it. So it's just, I'd, I'd wake up, we're in another fight, and I'd be like, again? Jeez. So like what, um, RPGs or like AKs? Everything. everything. You see, sometimes you just get a few rounds fight at you, and other times they'd, they'd try and lock you down, and we'd get stuck, or a, car, a truck would get taken out, and we'd have to get all the fucking people out of that or what's left of them out of that. Um, and, yeah, was that that particular trip was pretty much where I cut my teeth, I think like that that was that was the first time i'd seen anything like that it was just bullshit because it's getting shot at all the fucking time shoot the car boss's car was all shot up the back uh, right about that. that was actually pretty funny um but the whole idea um, is yeah, you guys we, are delivering stuff to the american base right yeah yeah, yeah. they were basically a lot of this was was actually building materials because they had to build all their little dongers and stuff and um Marines, Marines. I've only really worked with Marines when I was in the Australian Army, um, and I've got a lot of time for them. They're, they're a lot like us. They don't give a shit. They live in live in a hole in the ground. They don't care as long as, long as they get a brew on or there's there's food. They're fine. They're, they're happy. <laughs> um, so we we got down. We the first the first night we we harvested up just on the road. We ran a picket. And we got we got touched up a few times during the night. And me and the boss were the only ones who really had night vision, so we, we we stayed up pretty much all night um, with his his um, sniper rifle we had because he was a weapon sergeant, so he was a sniper, qualified sniper as well. So we, we, I was spotting for him and we'd just ping at anyone who got too close. And then the next night we ended, we were out in the Red Desert and there was the dudes riding around us and mot- on motorbikes and shit. We were sort of waiting for Humongous to come out with the belt, the, the loudspeaker, start yelling <laughs> Yeah, just, right. I was, God, this is a, this, someone slipped me some acid or something. This is a bad trip. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining all this, and, and it was hot. Like, it was. It would have been like 35, 40 degrees all night, and I was ah, just laying on the dirt, sweating, and everything's still hot. The water's hot. I was like, ah, this sucks. And um, yeah, we didn't lose anyone that night, but during the day, the the, the ambush we got into that day, that that was really really bad and we lost a lot of guys one one of the commanders he had he, he was in two vehicles and he's and he was the only survivor each time but the first time he had changed cars because his other car was all shot we basically set fire to that on the side of the road because it was so far everyone in the car got killed got him out he got in another car and, and then that one got shot up in the next contact and the dude driving who was one of his best mates took around fair in the face and i had to go clean that up and yeah it was we had buried him that night as well, and yeah, it was shit. But that's when we that night we we ended up in this camp, and these guys were protecting these uh, road workers, and um, that's how I met Mansur and his brother, who were my commanders, and my crew. I, I took that whole lot. I, I was afterwards, see, you know, I'm the boss. Afterwards, I'm going to talk about, and the boss said, "Look, I'm going to give you your own, your own call sign. And just go and do what you want. Um, I'll run your own jobs." But get these guys in because no one will touch them. And he was right. Because he, he'd known this guy from before when the war first started. And um, he was an all in the lights kid and he, he just sort of knew people and was actually a fighter. He wasn't just a bullshit artist like the majority of them were. He, he actually knew what he's doing. We got down there. We ended up getting stuck near Lashnagar and we ran into a team house, a, a bunch of um, British SAS guys were working out of. And um, I went back down later and Snuck them a few cartons, but um, 
on another trip because they really helped us out. They just said, oh, you can't go up there with these IDs all through the road. We, we've cleaned up the dudes who laid them, but we just we just take it easy tonight, stay with us and carry on the next day. And they were good folks. So we hung out with them for a bit. We finally got to where we were going and dropped all this stuff off. Then we had to come back and it was pretty much the same same deal. On the way <laughs> but we were running lighter. We didn't have to worry about the trucks and that. Then we just we just went full tilt and we did the same same journey in about, I don't know, a day and a half because we weren't stopping. We did run out of ammo, but we sorted that out. We had people waiting for us with the extra ammo on the way. But, yeah. How stressful. It was, that was that trip. Yeah, it was all right. Oh, it was, it was, well, so when we got back to uh, Kabul, we, that I just sort of got back and we, we sort of cleaned everything and debriefed and you know, I just died. I slept for about a day, I think. It was, yeah. yeah, it was pretty, pretty taxing, but that sort of set the – there was a few more after that that year and then winter time and then – but I, the next year was just like that all the time. And I, at that stage, I was just used to ah, let's go and get in the fights. Great. Because you said that uh, in your book, you said that you actually went to Afghanistan with a bit of a death wish, so to speak. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't in a good place there. I wasn't in a real good place. I probably shouldn't have gone over there. It was, I don't know, I was sort of still looking for it a bit. It, it, you don't. A lot of guys who have been in the Army will probably tell you this, especially guys who have been on operations. They, they, you're, just, you're just looking for that same thing again. And it's it, you can't even define it really, but you just, you just want to feel like that again. Just feel well, like happy the is probably the wrong word because – it's not even that. It's not. It's not. It, it, it's. It's like I, I can't explain it. it. It's. It's just where you, you're feeling like you belong somewhere. You know. Yeah. Like a brotherhood and, it's, and, and, it's, and purpose. And it's not even. It's not even that because I, I prefer operating by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually like yeah. being out on my own. It's. It's. I'm, it's better. There's. There's only one idiot that's going to get killed in my eyes. So <laughs> it's. It's yeah. safer for everybody. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I don't even know if it's that place. It, it just, I think it might be a little bit because Afghans, Afghanistan's definitely got something about it. I can understand why people love the joint. It is. It's different. It's pretty, pretty well, it's strange. Amazing. Like that. It's amazing you can say that after what you went through. So let's let's uh, get into yeah. that. Uh, so you were you you just quit actually. You just quit. Mm-hmm. And your resignation into your company you're working for, they didn't really accept it. And then you get a phone call from a couple of Yanks, a couple of American soldiers that you knew, or ex-soldiers, sorry, and they needed help. Yeah. And you being you, you decide to to go and help. Yeah. And what happened yeah. after that, mate? <laughs> so, yeah, these guys got fired on inside the gate of Kabul. Um, all the provinces have gates. That's sort of like the city limits, whatever, and it's sort of like a boundary, so to speak. And, and if you got hit inside there in Kabul, no one was getting hit back then that close to the city. Um, and they got an RPG fired at them and rounds fired at them, and I'm thinking, that's way too close. And there's a checkpoint right there as well, and I went out and had a look, and they, this this rocket went clean over the top of where the checkpoint was, and I'm going, yeah, there's something fucking up here. This is yeah. not right. Like a setup, really weird. yeah, and because the cops weren't jittery about it at all. Normally, if they'd just been had around, hit a rocket fight over here, they'd be shooting at us when we turned up there. But they're like, 
So I'm thinking, first I'm thinking maybe it was them. Now I looked at this, the shoes they were wearing and the tracks that were out there. One, there was only two of them there and there was three sets of tracks up there. And I was like, okay, so it's not them. And I pretty much figured it was some of our shithead security people and trying to scare people again and get more money out of them or smuggle shit on the convoys because the convoys are untouchable by, technically, by anyone by US military. And, um, yeah, so we um, I went back and grabbed my gear and explained to them what was going on and I went out there to see, see what was up. And one of the one of the guys who used to run the roads beforehand, and he he'd done it for me a few times. I refused to work for him because I I followed him and I watched him go back to his house, and he's bringing up reports from the yeah. road. Apparently, so, <laughs> his so, car's so, parked in his so, so his job, in Kabul. His job. He's an Afghan. His job is to actually go yeah. out and spot the road, make sure it's clear for you guys to go through. Yeah, just just cruise through, check uh, just with a pistol. Just to keep himself out of shit. Just see, he hits any checkpoints, any legal checkpoints or anything. Yeah, just let us know. And yeah, anyway, so he's trying to stitch us up. And um, he was mixed up. This warlord that was working for the company, they they give him a, a grandiose title and a, a position, and he could essentially do what he wanted. But they, now he's he's in a security company, and, and I. Some of the Afghans used to tell me, oh, he tells everybody he owns the company. It's his company. Oh, yeah, okay. It's, it's an Afghan thing. They like that. So he worked for him, and he was a pantry as well. He was he he wasn't real happy when I turned up there. He was very very sketchy because I knew what I was like. I knew because I, I didn't. I went by myself, and that Afghans get worried about that. They don't like it. It's like okay, this guy isn't scared over here. He's not like the rest of them. And so he um yeah because yeah. you explain you explain in your book that you. have You've got a temper, and uh... oh, yeah, a little bit. It, it takes a while, though. I'm just, I'm just, yeah. just cruising there. Then when I snap, I snap. It's never pretty. Um, I told I told this dude. So look, okay, if you want to leave, you're fired. Put your weapons outside the car. Walk away. Drive away. Fuck off. Go. Wouldn't do it. And he's waving. I'm watching the whole time. He's waving his gat around, and he's um yeah he ends up. Waving it in my turp's face a couple of times. I was like, right, I understand. I'm going to drag him out of car, beat the fucker out of him. And um, as I grabbed him, he's put the pissed off in my face. I just stepped back and brought my rifle up and jammed it in his chest and gave him four rounds. That was that. So your your turp is your I interpreter. Yeah. Interpreter. Interpreter yep. stand driver, yeah. Because this, yeah, he, he, at that stage, I didn't speak any of the language over there. I was a little bit, a few words, but no. Um, yeah, and I could I sort of get the kiss what was going on, and and when people start waving pistols around, it's a fair indication that they're not complying. Yeah. So, and what happened after that, mate? Yeah, uh, just crack on. It was it was literally, well, that sucked. Um, right, next job, and because that's what it, what it doesn't matter. It, it is pointless to stand there. Oh my god! Oh, it's so, so fucking terrible. It, it, it's. The army knocks that out of you. You go, okay, that sucked. What are we doing next? You just keep, you, you've got to keep moving forward. You can't stand there and dwell on things. You die. Yeah. It, it is, you know, it, it's one of the best things I've got out of the army. People, even here with the environment I work with now, people are like, oh, oh something's happening. So, okay, what are we doing? 
oh, hang on, let's just think about you know, No, let's not think about it. Let's move on to solving the problem we have at hand and going forward. It is shit. Yes, it's shit. How can we fix this? But that wasn't and, your only and, problem, was it? Yeah, no. <laughs> and then when I opened the car, the, the opened the boot of the car up, I found out why he was safe. He was so adamant that he wanted to stay with the convoy and school fucking drugs. And it's uh, you know, what, what I couldn't work, I could, I can't work out this day why he was going south with it, though, unless they were going to drop it off on the way. I don't know. I don't know. They, they could have been handed it off to somebody else for ammo or weapons or whatever. It, it, it's such a weird joint. Like the, the Taliban, that jihad is jihad. But then there's business, so they'll sell opium to these guys who who smuggle it into Russia and buy weapons with it. You know, the same dudes that was that was stealing weapons from the decommissioning place in um, up north and uh, what's the other? The UN had it set up there anyway, and they're basically all the confiscated weapons that were getting destroyed. They weren't getting destroyed. The paperwork was getting done because the guy ran it. Was mixed up with the NDS, the secret police yep. was a relative, a pensionary relative of this guy, and just and they just sold it back to the Taliban because that's fair. Then they can go on and have their endless war that they love. Um, but business is separate to that. So we'll sell you opium so we can buy guns so we can shoot at you. Yeah, right. Okay. This is how they think. It makes yeah. no sense to us, yeah. but it's how okay. You, you look at it mm. from an Afghan point of view, that's what they do. So you guys, um, you guys get the body. What do you decide to do with him then? Yeah, so I was just threw him in the back in the back of his car with the, with the rest of it, and just all right, let's let's just get moving. We need to get moving before it gets light because I want to get out of here. I want to get through Salar on the other side of Ghazni before that because that's where all the shit happens in that one section of the road. And we, we're driving through there in the daylight. We, we ran out a lot of time, and it's like fuck this. This is so bad. And okay, so I've got to get rid of all these drugs and I've got to get rid of the car. So we'll pull up here, and we'll burn the fucking thing because we we carry, everyone carried thermite grenades as part of their car kit to destroy the trucks because, especially the mail trucks, because yeah, even though it's a war zone, it's still it's still better off shooting somebody than actually stealing US mail. Oh, that sounds bizarre, but it's how the US government works. They, they had pulled the amount of things we had to get in place to get that contract to deliver mail and you had if a guy was stealing stealing a humvee off the back of a truck you know you'd have to give him warnings and shit the guy was stealing u.s mail just drop him yeah wow it it was it was the roe was it was so weird i was like really this is what means we're going postal is i know what american postal work fucked up um so I'm getting all that, and the guys who were with me weren't my guys. They, they were just all the dudes who worked out of Kabul. They were my my dudes actually worked from Ghazni, and um, they were a separate mob. They were all Pashtun dudes, not Kabulis. Um, you know, they had different attitude towards things. They're, they're good, good guys, and we'd been in touch with them. We, we said we told them we'll come and we know what was going on. They sort of knew, um, but they. They couldn't get to us for whatever reason. I can't remember what the story was there. But they had, there was something up. They were probably out doing something for somebody else. Who knows? But, um, yeah, so I'm trying to explain to these guys what I wanted to do. And, and at this stage, I ain't slept for fucking ever. And I'm trying to get this done. And I go, right, I've got to dem this car. 
get everything out of it that connects the company to the car, bring it with us, we'll sort it out when we get the good, the guards and man so it was compound. And I'm doing my thing in the back of the car. I couldn't find anything because it wasn't my car. It was somebody else's. I just grabbed out of one of the boss's cars. I grabbed out of the compound, fucked off with. I'm looking for shit. And I'm like, what the fuck? And so I don't know what they were doing. And they're right. We need to get fucking moved because it's broad daylight. We're in the middle of Afghanistan. There's white guys. So I toss a thermite in the car. And, and as I was turned around and walked back and they're all climbing in, and I'm like, where's the fucking body? Oh, it's still in the car. And the things are, oh, my fuck. Okay, let's go. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because what else can you do? What difference does it fucking make? But you, but like, you, you, your idea was to um, report this to the US um, military and get it written off. As I wanted a, to get on that fucking base and get, yeah. get the fuck out of there because it, it, it was going to, I knew how gnarly it was going to get because of this guy's connections with NDS. My biggest, my biggest way was getting caught cornered by the NDS because that would just fucking that would have killed a lot of us outright, and nothing would have ever got said. The NDS is the so, Afghan secret police. Um, yes, previously, not so much now. <laughs> no, but so you were, so your idea was to get to the American uh, military base and tell them yep. Look, this this death was self defence, um, and then yep. that would be written off in that way. And then, but your problem was the drugs. You were like, "Well, I need to get rid of the drugs because you don't want to get caught in the Middle yeah. East." Yeah, we 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 could have driven the car on there, but fuck it. it all it would have taken is is someone on the outer cordon just to have a look in the car. Not even the Yanks, but one of the Afghans, and the word would have got out straight away. And I wanted to avoid all that. And if we just had the body and we're in one of our cars, say so we got hit and he got shot to the Afghans, oh, oh and they'd just push us through because they we'd be taking him to the medics. And we that was the idea. But yeah. So after that, I sort of went into damage control a bit and, and I basically got the two Yank guys I was with. I said, right, are you finish your run and leave from there about get on a helicopter? Because we we had white those guys were both veterans, so they still had their their cards anyway, their cat cards, so they could get they could get on flights. It was easier. I had one as well. I had substantial rank of the captain with the US Army. So I could pull all sorts of shit. <laughs> a little bit dangerous actually <laughs> but it was it was yeah walking around in civvies with one of them and people go who the fuck are you and I was like yeah mm. get away, yeah, get away. <laughs> get away. leave yeah. me alone um, but yeah so they got out they got out clean and that was all I was worried about because they didn't have the sort of experience I had of bullshit and third world countries and dealing with people in airports and that yeah Pretty much after that, I got back and I just wanted to get fucking moving and get out of there. And but I also wanted to see what was what they were going to do. And so I, I took it pretty casual. Like I didn't. I, I tried not to get too. But um, see, I'm out of here. I just sort of cruised back. So yeah, right, I was just going to pack my shit up. And, and um, yeah. Long story short, I ended up getting sold out by the company. Anyway. And they basically, you know, I wouldn't have. It was a toss up whether to go to Bagram, which in hindsight, always twenty twenty, it it would have been a better option. That's the but, US military base. Yeah, that did exist, and I would have got a clean flight out to Europe, and, and no one would be in any of the wires, so they wouldn't even care. But, but we had contacts in the airport anyway, and we ran through there. Yeah, how did you decide where to go? Yeah, tossed a coin. 
you do. You're lucky, fifty cent Australian coin, mate. Yeah, I think so I traded in. So it was it was yeah, your coin uh, decided to go to Kabul, Kabul International Airport. Yeah. So yeah. you go there, and you know you get through, and and you're waiting at the um. Did the bus take you to your terminal? Yeah, well, we we sort of at the, the final search stage, and um, we're waiting to get on there, and it's like yeah, and. You, you always, you always sort of know. I don't know. This when you know something's bad, something's up. You sort of like, well, yeah, no, this is. I'm not getting people bullshit me here somewhere. I knew something was up, and it wasn't until Alex, who was one of the Macedonians' um, wives, and she was a really, really good chick. She warns me out, and she her story. She, she tells me it's the complete opposite. Everyone's been telling me because they've been trying to keep me in place the whole time. They've been trying to work out where I was, and I was shifting houses. And they go, "Oh, where are you now?" And I'm going, "I'm, I'm here. It's at so and so's place." They go, oh, okay. Oh, you're not there. Oh, I just moved again. And the whole time I was actually just moving around anyway. And um, and at that point, um, I'm standing in the airport waiting to get on the plane. I'm just uh, I'm cornered now. And I've seen these two, as I got off the plane with her, I see these cops, this group of cops moving towards her. One of them is this dude that we used to know because from whatever, they were taking money to, um, to buy, to chuck in the, the bank account there. Um, and I'm like, yeah, it's back. Mm. <laughs> sort of knew. And the whole, and as I'm walking out, I just rang off, rang one of my mates on the phone. I just started talking to the cops. So where are you taking me? Like, well, how come you, the e cops are picking me up, just filling him in what's going on, what, what the phone's going on? He got the message straight away. Yeah. So you called him on your, in your pocket, in your, in your pocket, and you had, um, yeah, I, I just on. had the phone in my hand. And I'm just walking, walking along, talking to this guy and essentially giving him information as, as I'm moving until they worked that out. They worked, they worked it out by the time I got to the general's office. And, yeah. Yeah. And that's where the fun really started. No. Because your main concern was the fact that you had asked through a miscommunication, uh, the body wasn't taken out of the boot, and yeah, I was torched. No, that, that was it. I mean, is what it is. It is it's, it's a lot harder to answer your way out of that rather than just a yeah. death. It looks like you've concealed yeah. it. That's what the main problem yeah, was, right? I know. It's, it's just, uh, that was that's why I changed my whole. Okay, that's what they're going to think, and, and unfortunately. That's what I've got to do. I've got to fucking run. And if I just if I just shot the guy, I would have probably yeah, I would have just been a hustle about it. And and no, I'm not leaving. Anyone else? Like, you got to leave, man. Like, no, fuck that. I'm going. I'm saying. Even so, knowing how they work and knowing how much shit I copped in the next couple of days from the NDS dudes, um, it would yeah, it probably would have been pretty bad anyway. Whatever happened, because he was like one of the boys, and they. The sharp suits, boys. This this guy, this warlord who worked for the company, was actually married to Sharma suits. One of Sharma suits' sisters. Yeah, right. Um, and I know there's a lot of people out there who, oh yeah, the line of the pants here and blah, fucking blah. He's another warlord who sold drugs to finance his war against the Taliban. Simple as that. He's just another fucking drug lord. He, he he's nothing, and he got plugged. He just have, happened to have a bit of CIA funding and he gave him pretty good information and he could fight. I'll give him that. Um, but they're not, 
the heroes of Afghanistan, people making out to be, they're no better, they're no worse. They're the same. It is what it is. Um, unfortunately, yeah, at the time, they saw the benefit of but They knew that they couldn't. They weren't the biggest tribe there, but they realised they could, they could influence things a lot better if they controlled the intelligence service. So that's what they did. And they, um, yeah, that's the NDS was essentially all, uh, sorry, Pantera. There was a few other ones in there, but I don't know what their lot, how they were, how they worked, because essentially there was a, yeah, they could do what they wanted. And I mean, you, you even look back at the, the, the Russian war over there, the, the Pantera Valley didn't get touched hardly at all. You know, a, a lot of people say a lot of that had to do with, um, they were one of the first groups that were given Stinger missiles, but I don't know. They're in the north and they control the, the route, routes overland into Kazakhstan and Tajikistan. So, next stop Russia is, is to me, that looks more like someone quietly kept a route open so they could smuggle opium into Europe. But, you know, it's, I'm a bit cynical like that. So, so is it kind of like just their states, like their provinces where they're from, or is it more? Is it more like pretty much, yeah? And and it's and it, it's. Uh, I, I sort of explained it to somebody once that, that Afghanistan is a place; it's not a country. You know, right. they they go on and oh, we're going to little, but you look okay. So the Taliban are predominantly Pashtun, and the Hazaras are being left out on their own forever. The, the Kabulis and Kandaharis are different. Yeah. And then you've got the Kushis that just travel around. They, they, don't give, they don't give a shit. They just go to Pakistan and wander back over here. And, it's, yeah. and there's so many different tribes. And there's a few la- different languages. And um, you can, yeah, you can tell a lot by the, the dress, the, the province they're from. You sort of pick up on that after a while, the way they wear their clothes, certain Tribal groups have certain ways of dressing or doing things, and you know, yeah, that, that dudes from here. Um, but yeah, it's it's you can see how, if for whatever reason, is the past the, the past seem to gravitate more towards the, the Islamic Taliban side of things. What I think it is. I was actually thinking about this the other day. Um, what I think it is, is is the madrasas that were set up in Pakistan during the Russian war. A lot of these, a lot of the guys who got pushed out by that would have been Pashtun. And they went straight across these these refugee camps into Pakistan. And these these Wahhabius mosques were set up there. And these kids are all getting brainwashed by that shit. So when they come back, when they're old enough, they come back. They, this is the new generation of talent. When you're talking like the 90s. These are the guys we ended up fighting. You know, I, I, that's my take on it. Um, and it's sort of happened again now. The, now we've got this new generation coming back now. Um, but that's sort of my my take on it. I, yeah, I, what would I know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you get into that room um, with the police officers, and they what do they yeah. do? They take all your money. Um, they yeah, take pretty much took everything. <laughs> they gave you a touch-up. Yeah, that was the first of many over the that next couple of days. It was a bit shit. What'd they um, do? I just got a touch-up in there, but they only did it after I got the cuffs on and just flogged the crap out of me. And then when they got me back to this, this 
joint in, in town as it, it got bad then i went i went in there and Okay, this isn't good. Yeah, <laughs> I got changed a wall, and I got that absolute fucking shit kicked out of me. And that, that wasn't fun. Didn't dig that goal, and they left me there for a couple of days. I still got a bit of, I still have problems with my left hand because of that. It was pretty crap. So you're chained up. I oh, just yes. one arm. Oh. Up like that. Yeah, and and how yeah, long was that for? I had a couple of days. Are you serious? Yeah, it was pretty far. Didn't didn't dig it. So what happens to your arm after a couple of days? You just desperately just uh, want to lots pull of it pins down? and needles. I think it took me a couple of years the pins and needles to go away on my radial nerve. Eh? It, was, it was pretty. Yeah. It, I still have problems. It, it, it sort of locks up like this all the time. Oh, this finger goes a bit funny. I get the twitches as this. It starts shaking by itself. It's pretty weird. But it got better. I mean, there was there was a at some at a couple of points there. It, it just I couldn't use it at all. That sort of sucked. And, and those first couple of days, I was like, oh, 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 this is never going to go away. It was just constant pins and needles all in here, all in the fingers. So you must have been like, was yeah. the terror creeping in at that point or were you still thinking this is just, oh, I'm going to sort it? No, well, I was, uh, I don't know about terror is wrong, so I was a little bit, <laughs> I was a little bit anxious, yeah. Um, yeah. No, nah, I, I was shitting myself, to be honest. Uh, I I'm going, but I basically resign myself to say, okay, I'm going to die in here, but let's see what happens and, and let's get this fucking, get me off the wall. I'll let them have a fucking crack and we'll go for it. And I just kept waiting for that moment and that moment never came. Yeah, and well, then they moved me somewhere else and, and then my yank mate found me, the ex-ranger mate found me and he passed on to the, the embassy where I was and once they knew where I was and they fucking took a step back. Because that was the, uh, I, the the thing I took out of your book. You feel like the worst part is just being lost in there, like forgotten about. That was yeah. worse than yep. the physical torture, just like just being lost. Yeah. No one knows where yeah, you are. That's it. That was I'd just been dumped. No one knew mm. who I was. And, it's like, uh, and describe the cells, that, mate. That mate like, what's, of mine. What's that jail like? Uh, what was the yeah. first? Tolkien? Tolkien. No, I didn't go to that. Place first up. Uh, Tolkief was um, the holding area, holding cells near the courts in town. There was two separate parts, but the old one was built in the Russian days. And it was literally falling apart. <laughs> it would have actually been okay, to, pretty easy to get out of. But where would you go? In, in another compound, you know, it's, you jump the fence near the, you know, kind of when you're six foot fucking white guy, you know, you're going to stand out. So, yeah, I just basically held out there for a while, and then I, then I got moved into the other part of it, which was a bit newer, but completely overcrowded. It was insane. There's just people, literally people sleeping everywhere at night. It was was built for seven hundred and had over, I think, and had over over a thousand in there. So you, you literally couldn't walk down the hallways at night. The people just stacked. Wow. Away sleeping. And the and the sewage. And had, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just the shit that was just openly running on the floor. And people had to pay to get into rooms, get beds. It was yeah, something else. So did you just sleep on the floor? I did for a while, and then they moved me into a better room, and then. We got moved out of there again, and then 
All right, so you get you get taken to um, the holding cell, then you go to jail. Yep. Uh, lots of shit happens. Oh yeah, but it was sort of like remand, I guess. It was yeah. More of what what kind of um, conditions is that? Like you said, there was shit on the floor and all that, but like yeah, it was. Uh, it was like this massive. If you imagine, imagine like a massive um, corridor, a square in a square, essentially ran all the way around. They had toilets at like the halfway points all along, and the corner up closest to the the main gate. Of course, that was like the the people who had money and, or influence, and that that's where they were. Um, the rest of the place was actually pretty crap. There was, yeah, none of nothing worked. None of the toilets worked. None of the showers worked. It was it was literally just oh, all overflows. And you were getting gastro and dehydrated. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, you couldn't get you could only get drinking water at certain times of the day, and then they fit. And, and usually you couldn't get the water um, straight away. So there because there'd be so many people lining up trying to get water. But when you're locked up, like they wouldn't, you weren't let out into the out into the exercise area where the water was. They um, put up all these buckets and sold it back to you and shit like this. It's silly, like. To, to shower, you had to buy heated water. You couldn't couldn't heat it yourself. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was pretty bad. It was. And what about food? How often were you getting fed? Um, you get bread in the morning. There, you're getting bread in the morning because it's a little bit. It's a little bit more closer to home and and in the city, so people could get to you easily. The Red Cross were in there a fair bit, so they played the game of there to a degree. And there was, you know, three times a day you got something. But, you know, you didn't get much meat. You always got rice. But the my guys outside, people who knew me, they were always bringing stuff in for me and making sure I got it. And you can buy other stuff there, you know, it's fairly limited. Well, you still get it there. How are you, but, passing, uh, the, how are you passing the time? Because you talk about just being stuck in um, a room full of all these people I'm, and the noise. Yeah, I read a lot. I was I started getting books and shit in, and just paperbacks. There's always a, a supply then, and they sort of play it in anywhere where I, like security guys are working. They just get there's heaps of books that get passed around, passed around, and so yeah. The show will return after this quick break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And then you talk about seeing some disabled prisoners, and yeah, that was that was shit. I, that dipped my head in a fair bit. I, I didn't know. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's usually things like that who really affect the way you see human race. So it's because you see it as worse. It's just so. And in that country, you, you see it a lot because. It's such a patriarchal setup over there that everyone's fucking on 
the one below. You know, you see kids picking on the animals, and then that kid is probably getting slapped around as well, and his old man gets smashed by whichever warlord or landowner he works for. You know, it's just this constant, and, and it's ugly. It's shit. It really is. I, just, I can't. Because it's 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 never going to change. It's, it's the worst of it. You can't make it go away. It's you know. So yeah, you, you said you saw a uh, a gentleman with Down syndrome that was chained or handcuffed with his hands yeah. above his head, and they were throwing rocks at yeah. him or something. Yeah, they just didn't know how to deal with him. So I just oh, he doesn't do as he's told. Okay, we'll hang him off. We'll hang him off the bars. That was that was how they dealt with it. Because they'd tell this guy, and he, he just didn't comprehend, man. I was just, uh, they just throw shit at him. Everybody else thinks it's a great joke. Stand there and throw shit at the disabled girl. That's brutal. And it was around that time that you went to court? Yeah, first time. Yeah. Um, so that was, I just thought it was like a prelim hearing or whatever. It's, you sort of, Sit someone's office, and I was like, mm. um, and the, the dude turns up and he's like, There's a bit of verbal going down range, and I'm like, okay. And then we all go out again. That's like, What just happened? And, and one of the cops is going, Oh, big problem, big problem. I go, What he's like, oh, couple, like, really? Yeah, I know. That's they said, No, you. <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> okay, so he was gesturing. Bad. He was gesturing with. <laughs> yeah, the, he was talking about me. He's just the blade oh, across you're, the throat. You're, yeah, you're dead. But no, they don't do that. They actually hang people. And I saw that later on down the track, and actually quite bad at it. You laugh. It would laugh. Probably not the right word. My my sick black humor I have is, and you'd hear him saying, "Oh, thirty years of war." I'd say, "Yeah, you've had thirty years of war here, and you're still so crap at killing one another." It's all. What's going on? Yeah, plenty of practice at it. Like, and and the judge was quite memorable because oh, man, it was that was that was the toenails. Recently, recently, I've got an addition to that story. <laughs> so yeah, so the judge turns up. He's not even wearing his shoes on. It's like I'm watching it. His toes just hanging out, and I'm, that was that was all. I just honed in on. Look at these this dude's toenails right now. Hey, if you're a horse, you like you get put down. It's just, it's just wrong. It's, it's, it's all gnarled up and shit. And um, yeah, it didn't help with my idiot lawyer, who's recently been in contact with me. So he um, he became a judge. My lawyer I had for that particular little part of that story. That's right. And he was yeah, that's right. And he was uh, he was trying to get out of Afghanistan. Yeah. And, okay. um, yeah. It was just funny how that turned out after all the all the money he took off my family for shit that he didn't do. Because he, was, he didn't give you oh, any please. any help, couldn't understand him, there was no interpreter. No, no, nothing. But he's um yeah, his son got hold of me via the internet email. I don't know how to my email address, but anyway, he did that too. And I basically had a chat to a legal representative I have over here, and he said, well, you know, we can put his name forward to DFAT. And this was prior to the last few weeks. And um, he, he said, but 
you know, it's it's bullshit. And I said, oh, no, it's bullshit. They, they don't care. The family don't. Because initially you're saying that the, the family were going to get him. It was never going to be the family. If, if he was a judge, he'd be on a list somewhere. And Taliban ain't going to like him. And everyone's like, well, made your bed, man. And so well, we put it forward and that was that was it. That was That's all I wanted to do with him. And I didn't do it for him. I did it for his kids and, because I know he's got daughters. It was just... So you had three court hearings and three times you were sentenced to death. Sentenced to death, yeah. Um, what's that like? What's that moment like when you actually, in a third world country, you don't speak the language? And yeah. They're tell, they're telling the first, you they're the you. first time, the first time is is a bit sort of like, oh shit, I didn't sleep much that night. And then I started looking at it a bit more objectively as the, as the days went by, and I thought, okay. Maybe change my approach next time, just see what the outcome and, and it's the same outcome, you know. So, okay, so I know this is going now. And I, and, the, and then after I got to talk to a few people and work it out myself years down the track, the third time, you're like, this is all about making money. I got no intention of doing this. It's just it's gonna be this much. No. Right, I sentence to death. Oh shit. And it's like a bidding war essentially. It's, Trying to but they do execute and, people there, right? Yeah, they do. They do. And, you, and you're watching but that? That was later on. That was much later. And all those guys are, are basically political prisoners anyway. Well, not all of them. There was there was a bunch of guys in there for terrorism, and they, but they also hang rapists and drug dealers. Yeah. You don't have to do much to get hung. It was around that time you met a bloke named Glenn who was you thought was a friend. And you helped it yeah, financially. Right. Yeah. Another like that's a crazy thing, mate. Like your um your bosses hung you out to dry. Um, you know, your, your lawyer, everybody you were dealing with was just betraying you. And then yeah, who you thought was your mate, you spent how many thousands of dollars on them? <sighs> it's it's the point now is it's many. It's many, it, yeah, many US thousand dollars. It was a lot. It was a lot. Um, but you know, people have got to live with themselves. That's that's it. I I sleep pretty well at night. I don't. Yeah, no worries. It comes back around. It, 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 as far as I see, I mean that that lawyer is proof of that. I'm I'm not one that buys into karma and all that shit. But it's just funny sometimes how it works. It's, you treat people like shit. And just you can be effectively be a pretty bad person, but still do the right thing. And I found that with some of the guys I met later on. You know that that was they never they never lied to me, and that's the thing a lot of people can't understand. Once I got to know the Taliban guys better than the track, it was that they can't. They especially if they're trying to get someone to come across, they're going to tell you how it is. And I learnt more about how the system worked from them than I did anyone else. I mean, I didn't speak to my family or my sister for a while because of it. Because she said, "Why are you talking to these people?" I said, "Because they don't—they're not buying to me. I don't believe in their shit. I don't buy into it. But what they're telling me with what I've got to deal with is the truth, and that's what I need right now. I, I don't need another level of bullshit. And everything else you're hearing is wrong. I hate it when I'm right. I was right. It was the worst of it. So was this in Polly Charky? Yeah, that was much later. Years later, I mean, we. I first, I first come across that particular guy when I was with. I ended up 
in Polacharki with a bunch of Nigerians who I'd, I'd met in um, the Raman place. And they were, they were pretty good dudes. And I learned a lot about how smuggling stuff works with narcotics around the world. It's, um, yeah, pretty interesting. And a lot of that's still in play now. And I don't know, I don't know how that gets here. Because, um, but a few of them converted because they under, they knew the value of of submission. It, it is an, a tribal thing in itself. Um, there's so many places in Africa that get assimilated by other places in Africa because they're the losers and they go, oh, well, so we'll just do this. And then when it's then when we get a gap, we go. That's you know, what they did. They get themselves in a better position and they pay their way out. A lot of them were out before I was. So I don't even mind. I mean, I got on well. It was very interesting to talk with the guys that were professional smugglers. There was, there was guys here that was a one-off thing and there was other guys that were, this is what they did. They'd been in jail and other places. They say, that's the rules of the game. That's what happens, man. Um, and it was interesting to hear their take on it, especially those guys because they'd seen it before. And they they say it's like a lotto, and it's, and they they say everywhere we go, even Australia, everyone there's someone in the customs or in the board of control that knows about this, and we give them a certain amount or the group we work for gives them a certain amount of people it looks good they get a big oh look at us they get paid off as well and these people are generally not the people that do it all the time they're the little fish and then the guys who do it all the time are carrying bigger loads they go through so that was pretty interesting to hear from the horses now um and then there was there was another guy in there that was pretty interesting this this ex-russian army guy who converted to Islam after a particularly bad couple of years in St. Petersburg and wandered into a mosque one day when he was high and all the rest of it ended up staying, ended up getting sober in there and eventually converted to Islam um, and then he wanted to go fight the jihad. Yeah. <laughs> ended up in, ended up training people in Pakistan for a bit and then um, on his second trip he got sold out by Afghans <laughs> and over to the NDA. So that's why he's in the prison. Yeah, but, yeah, and he was actually he was actually a really really nice guy. He, he, I, I got on really well with him. Is he still and, there now? Um, no, no, he got out. He got out before I did. I was I was actually glad to see him go because he, he was sort of, I think he was sort of wavering in his faith a bit, um, because it didn't do him much good. But yeah, he, he was he was the interesting guy. We had a lot in common because the military background. Of course, he was conscription. Um, and he was a devout Muslim. He was a better Muslim than a lot of the, the Afghans. That was that's truth. He was a good dude. Um, and he was a big fella, a seven foot one or something. He said a foot taller yeah, than you. Yeah, oh, he's taller than me. He was he was much bigger than me, he's, uh, which was a bit freaky. Is he's like fucking hell, um, a massive big red beard and shit. And uh, but yeah, and he he introduced me to a few other people, and that was um, that Our was kids? a sort of. Akimi was Akimi was there because Akimi was teaching him, and Akimi knew what I was. But I didn't become friends with Akimi until we went to the other block. And now I see Akimi fairly regularly on TV. Oh, do you? <laughs> or yeah, he's he's right up there with with the the dudes running the show currently. It so was it was, it was Akimi's Taliban. Oh shit! 
yeah, he was like proper Taliban. He was he he, he got taught the Red Mosque and all the rest of it. He um yeah. A very, very interesting guy indeed. He was he was crazy. I mean, to listen to your story, to hear that you've actually befriended this bloke, a Kiwi, the Taliban. I think it was the other way around. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. He was he was lining me up. He was going, oh, this guy, we can get this guy in. If we get him to convert, Jesus. Um, yeah, no. Nah. We just agreed to disagree on the, on the Islam thing. You guys, like, had a good rapport and a good friendship, but... Yeah, yeah, it, it was interesting. It was a bust, yeah. But Yeah, but you were saying that, like, if you saw each other out on the street or if you're in the real world, yeah. you'd kill was, each other. It was, it, was always, it was always that thing. It, you'd be walking out the door and say, like, Kimi, remember this? Remember this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd go, oh, that's not funny. And he'd just walk off. <laughs> It doesn't look like an AK forty-seven. But yeah, he was he was a he was an interesting guy. Um, it, the day the day he started going on about Che Guevara, that that was the day I re- I understood how much we we just lumped these guys into ideas and crack caves, and they don't understand anything. Because he, he started talking about the Argentinian, and I'm going. What are you on about? It's the end of the Argentinian, the Jaguar. He fought in, fought in Cuba. I'm the Jaguar. You mean Che Guevara? He goes, yes, Che Guevara. Jaguar. Why do you call it a Jaguar? Because it looks like Che Guevara. That's what Che Guevara looks like. It looks like Jaguar. And I said, no, well, no, that's not it. But shit, that's pretty cool. You know who Che Guevara is. And he said, oh, yes, he's a very good, very good fighter in Cuba. And he said, this is, we can learn from this man because he fought in a place that he understood. As soon as he went to Africa, as soon as he went to other, other places, it didn't work. This is why the Taliban do this. This is why we do the same thing. We just stay in Afghanistan because this is what we understand. Um, okay. That just, just blew my mind, but I, I didn't expect that at all. And just went, because he understood that not only this, Che Guevara, his ego got to him a little bit. He, he thought he could pull the same shit off that he pulled in Cuba and he quite obviously couldn't because he just said it was a completely different thing what he was going especially when he went to Africa and he went up against the South African Defence Force of the 80s, 70s and 80s, which is a whole different kettle of fish than what it is now, um, a little bit scary back then. So, yeah, that would have put the wind up in a bit, I think, you know, mm. fighting against Cuban government guys who are pretty piss poor. Oh, and for then sure. going up against three two battalion in Angola. Yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Not then. No. <laughs> um so the fact that he understood what this guy did right and what he did wrong uh, on a on a tactical and strategic level, it's like he's educated. Okay, they're not idiots. They're not they're not idiots at all. He, they actually understand war better than most people think they do. Yeah, that that frightened me. That did. I just I just had to go and have a little think about. Oh, I was like, shit. We've looked look at this all wrong, <laughs> a little way wrong. Uh, and also about the fact that when you mention how they go to their death, as opposed to some of the other prisoners, some of the gangsters or wannabes. Yeah, I mean that was that was it. That 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 was actually impressive. Um, you know, it was. So you, so you watched that. You watched people get taken to be hung. 
Well, they used to where we were, we could we could sort of see out our window and the Taliban guys were above us because we were right down in the block. But in the kitchen kitchen was we could see the old kitchen where they used to hang these guys. And you could see them as they walked around, walked them out, walked up to the door of the kitchen, and all the Taliban guys would be down in that corner room watching out the window and they'd be all singing and crying and waving us and they go, Yeah. And you see these guys, they just walk out there, just shrug the shot the the guards off and just walk out. And most of the gangsters, they just had to be carried, kicking and screaming because they didn't want to die. The Taliban guys were like, yeah, fuck you. They're gone. And that, that was impressive. It was, yeah, you can't, you can't it just have that level of courage and you, you, you're not walking away from this. And it's like, yeah, got it. No problem. That's good. What's it like knowing that you could be plucked out of your cell at any moment and strung up on this bloody... Bar. Um, at that point, we'd actually, yeah, at that point, we'd actually sorted out the Ibra and I was off the hook. So, right. so you sorted out the bribe. Oh, That's what that yeah. means, the bribe. No, well, it's not a bribe. It's not a no. bribe. It, it is completely legal. It is part of okay. their culture. It's part, it's written yep. into law over there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not a bribe. It is a bribe, but it's not a bribe. It's, the same law exists in Saudi Arabia, um, the Emirates. It's a part of Shia law. So, so, so you're paying the family compensation. Yeah. Yeah, but even so, and watching how they did it, again, it comes to you'd think they'd be better at it after that long of doing it, and they're not. And the day they, <laughs> the day they used the winch of the ambulance, that the particularly large gentleman that they couldn't get onto the – the trolley that they were using to kick out from underneath them. So they just winched him. And then, That's and then horrible, we, we were to- Yeah. I mean, we were talking about it. Kimmy come and see it because a couple of his guys got hung and he was he was pretty upset about it. And that was the interesting that he came to talk to me and Bevan, the South African guy, about it as opposed to hang out with his own guys. I think because they're, they're supposed to put up a bit of a front. And he knew that we'd be a little bit more sympathetic about it. Because he, he knew we'd both lost people that we cared about fighting and all the rest of it. So it was interesting that he came down to us. Anyway, we were talking about that. And he said, Oh, well, you see what they do in Iran? What are they doing in Iran? And he said, Oh, well, you know, and they get like a, a cherry picker or a um, EWP. And basically, you stand there and it puts a rope around your neck and it's like, did, 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 did. So it takes a while. <laughs> I've worked with EWPs quite a bit where I am now, and it's like, yeah, this is going to be slow. And up he goes eventually, and that's it. So, Well, they yeah. drop you after that or what? No, they don't drop you. They just pick you up off the ground with you hang on by your neck. They oh. strangle to death. You don't, you don't snap your neck. There's a chemo saying. It says they don't even know how to kill people. He said the government, they don't know how to kill people. The, the Taliban will just shoot you. These these people, they they strangle you. This is not the way to hang people. You have weights. I said, you know this. They do this in England. I said, no, don't do any more, mate. <laughs> no, no, they do. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> uh. But but he understood that they were doing it wrong. Uh, that was the thing. And yeah, and you see the photos of the book. Um, it's it was essentially just an A-frame with a pipe welded between it. Then I could literally touch the top of the pipe. And they, they used to hang people these little short bits of rope and just kick the chair out from underneath them, just a normal chair that's with an audience. And so how, how will this big 
things set up. People to come and watch. Yeah. Not great. Not a good way to go, that's for sure. No. No. And so you had a, a good cellmate, an animal. Yeah, the shitty the cat. Shitty the she cat. Sort of, just sort of turned up one day and didn't leave. Just stayed there. Had a couple of, I think at the end of it, three sets of kittens in, in, under my bed the whole time I was there. Uh, a couple of them ended up staying for a long time, but one of them because he was just too stupid. Yeah. <laughs> he had a hunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Uh, what's wrong with that cat? He just walked around. He looked like a cat out of Pet Cemetery. He looked like he'd just been blown up or something. I was like, why is that fucking thing dirty all the time? What does he do? He just didn't know how. I was uh, I just fed him, but shitty eventually scared him away because he didn't want him hanging around. But um, yeah, cat. I think like oh, cats. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, in those situations, though, you 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 would. I think I would too. If I was in that yeah, situation. I mean, it did it did make a difference because she'd turn up every day. She'd just hang out in the winter time. She'd sleep in there, and we got it all cleaned up. She didn't dig it when I washed her, <laughs> but she grew to like it. I think because yeah, she couldn't really do much. But, um, so seven years is a long time in that situation. That's a long hmm. time in a place like that. How'd you survive? Yeah. What'd you do? What was your routine? Uh, it got. This is going to sound really weird, but it got easier as I was was by myself. Um, when I was with the Nigerians, I, I, I first got in the routine, and I, it was it was good. And, and the guys had pretty good rapport, getting shit out to me, and with the guards, they had a pretty good rapport with it. And so they had all worked out, and I was getting plenty of food, and I was training religiously every day, and was in probably not in the best state of mind at that stage. We were still working through the whole thing with the family and all the rest of it. So it was still touch and go. Um, but afterwards when I went to Block 10, which is more like a proper proper jail that was ran properly to a degree, um, better so than the rest of the, the jail, any other jail in Afghanistan. Um, and the uh, when I was on my own, I just sort of got in this routine. I kept the journal, trained every day, did everything like right out. It's just like this time I go out here, and you you plan ahead, get things. Oh, I need to do this this time, and you you stay focused on the next thing you got to do, and and that's it. That's what they teach you to do in the army. It's it's a lot of guys, especially young guys, when you first join. You always sort of modern routine, right? But we have bushman. What are we going to shave? What are we going to clean our boots? What are we going to do this? Mm. Um, one of my trips to Tully, the jungle warfare school in the early 90s when there was still a lot of Vietnam veterans up there and that. And a few of them had fought in the big battles in Vietnam. And one of them was telling us that, you know, the, the, set, the first morning after they really got lit up and they're sitting there. And they're like, oh, and the the section miners are sit, as as frazzled as some of the diggers, and they're all sitting up on the side of the hill looking around. Oh, fuck, you know. There's bodies out in front of them. The blokes, their mates have been cleaned up on up behind them in other pits. And that and platoon sergeants are walking around. They go, right, you done your morning routine yet? And they're like, oh, 
Hey, snap out of it, bro. You, you know, clean your boots, have a fucking shave, clean your weapon, get get a feed on. You know, come on, let's go. You know what you got to do. Let's get this to it. And it's that thing. It just snap out, and you go like this. What it? You have a clean my boots. What I got in there? Okay, I'll get a feed on it. It's, it helps. It is there for a reason. And once you realise that, you can use other things. I, I mean, I do it now. Uh, it's just it, things get a bit much, and you go right now. What do I got to do today? What's the first job I got to do? I got to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. And as soon as you get the first one out of the way, you start feeling better about yourself. You've achieved something. You've moved forward. And you do it again. And you do it again. And you do it again. And all, all these little wins add up to a pretty good day, as opposed to just sitting there and being pissed off about everything. So it works. It really does. It's one of the best things I ever got out of the military. I think. Yeah, mate, it makes sense, mate. And I think mm. it's probably one of those lessons that you have to learn afterwards, right? Because when you're in that situation being taught that, you're like, like you said, why am I shaving when I'm in the middle of the bush? But in hindsight, you're like, yeah. yep, it's there for routine. It, it's yeah. ingrained in me. It's discipline. It's, yeah, habit. There, there's, there's, so many, there's so many things that the, the Army in particular does, infantry especially, that looking from the outside, you're, why are we still doing this archaic bullshit? Everybody's like, ah, we're doing drill. Why are we doing? Why do we still do this? This is bullshit. It's not bullshit because it teaches you to do things without thinking about it. Without it's it just makes it as easy as breathing. It's just like, yep, yeah, your body knows what's going. There. You hear the hear the word of command is bang, it's done. Yeah, it, it it's like that. But it's not like that. They, people people see that and they think the military is just a bunch of robots. And God, not now. You, you know, you need you need year twelve to be a grunt. You know, yeah, that was never the case. Some of the some of the platoon sides I had, had over the years, was the early days, especially. Holy shit! Half of them were semi literate. You know, it was, it was shocking. Um, but now it's a whole different kettle of fish. You're going to give it a seventeen year old. Couple million dollars worth of gear. Jesus, you want to hope they can string a sentence together at least. Yeah. No, so, times have changed. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But that aspect of it, but what you're talking about, that hasn't, and it, and it's still there. I've talked to a lot of young soldiers. I, I get approached on, online a fair bit about guys who read the book because I, I was the same when I was that age. I used to read books about guys who have done stuff and I was lucky enough to meet quite a few of them, especially the dudes who fought in Africa and that. Um, I've actually worked with quite a few of them overseas. And, um, yeah, it's, it's stuff that that's, – that's the stuff that helps. And I've said it to a few young guys who have come back and got out since and are having dramas with dealing with civilian life. Why not? Well, no, I still do. Sometimes, some days I'm like, I'm going to take a day off. I think. And they go, oh, what's wrong? Just, just leave me alone. I'm just going to go for a drive. Just leave me alone, and come back and I'm fine. Because there's just certain things they don't get, and it's the best way to deal with it is just remove yourself from the situation. But that said, guys, who can't, who are in living in cities are not employed employment stuff that they, they have issues and they are oh, you know it's 
having trouble dealing with this lockdown. This I can't work. I strike my horse. Dude, just treat the same way you treat the when you're in the army. Just work out, work out a routine. Run with it. Best thing you can do, and uh, it works. It's shit, but you try and get something out of it. You know. So, well, what can I do? It's not I can't do this. It's not what can I do? And then you build from that. And that's what I did in there. It's like, but what can I do? Okay. I'm not happy with the way this is. I'm not happy with it not having exercise gear, not being allowed to use any of it. So I can write letters. And that's what I did. I just smashed them with it. And eventually it's got sick of me writing letters and having to translate them and give them to other, other people. So they just give me shit. I said, all right. And, and I have had a win. I might go for a TV this time. And I just kept on doing shit like that constantly. And one had occupied my time, kept me busy, gave me little projects to go and deal with. And if I can do that in a third world country, mate, you're in lockdown in Australia. Can't be that hard. Think of something. No. What, yeah. what do you want to do? Yeah. No, that's right. So, how was your mental health during that period? You know, like, Obviously, you had times where you thought you felt suicidal or thought yeah. about it. Uh, of course, it did. Yeah, you, it's, but you cycle through it. You know, it's it's yeah, it peaks and troughs every day. Is that's just how it is. And then then you might have a week where you just bottom out the whole time, and you come out the other side, and you're like, okay, well, that was shit, but I'm okay again now. It's, yeah, I mean, everything. Everything our, our bodies do, it works in those cycles. And, you know, you have good, you have up and you have down. It's, you know, if you're talking about it, it's not an issue. Yes. Because I, I don't imagine there's a psychologist walking around that prison checking in on you. No. No. We actually, we actually had a guy um, who was mixed up with the, the American side of the JSSP program. I still got his cards for front of his name. And he was a really nice guy. Um, and but by the end of the end of the time he was there, he used to come in and have a chat to us. And that was his job. He was trying to teach him this is what you need to do. And if you you know, the mental health of the prisoners in Afghanistan, oh no, we'll just hang them off the wall and beat the shit out of them. That, that'll work too. Um by the end of his time over there, he essentially was just coming and seeing us because and he was so jaded by the whole process. And he just felt sorry for the guy because it was <laughs> Talking to me and Bevan was the only time that he actually did what he'd been trained and brought over there to do and to be a prison psychologist. And he just he just see he was just over the whole thing. And he was just happy to go home at the end of it. He, he, yeah, it was a little bit sad. But oh, he was yeah. a good guy. I enjoyed talking to him and he actually knew what he was on about. He got me got me fairly interested in psychology, just some of the chats we have. Um yeah, he was, it's, yeah, mate, there, was, there wasn't even a doctor there most of the time. I did most of the stuff. That's that's terrifying. Yeah, because he had some medical <laughs> training. Oh, well, I was, I was there, yeah. I've had, I've had some. I'm, I'm pretty rusty these days, but I sort of can still stop people from bleeding out and shit and, but most of the time. But there was a couple of times in there I was like, yeah, nah. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got nothing. Uh, oh yeah, but you know, just make you wake up with what exactly? What, <laughs> what do you want me to do here? It was, uh, I, 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 yeah, that yeah, was it was a bit 
because they're more, they, they weren't even worried about the guy. They were worried about getting in trouble. That's what they were worried about. Oh, yeah, but we're on duty, and, and if he dies, we're in trouble. So 31st of July, 2016, the guards come to your door and say, mate, you're going. Yeah, that's it. What's that like? Um, well, I didn't believe them for a start. They say full of shit most of the time. They do that sort of thing just to try and wind me up. So, yeah, whatever, man. No, no, and they're like, no, you're really going. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm just close the blind. I head over the window. And you hear them mucking out there. And I, it was it was funny because I didn't know something was up because of the way they were carrying on and they were all excited. I couldn't hear what they were saying. So, yeah. And eventually this guy, one of the guards who I thought had been actually killed um, in a fight in there and he turned up and he goes, oh, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I was, I was happier to see him than, than I was the fact that I was getting let out. It's like, shit, man, you, you're still alive. <laughs> he said, yeah, no, I, was, I, wasn't real, I wasn't real well for a while, but I'm okay now. I'm like, Jesus, a massive big scar in his guts when he was stabbed. Um, but, um, yeah, so eventually he goes, no, it's, it's for real, they're, they're letting you go today. Um, your lawyer's at the office waiting for you. And we went up there, and a friend of mine from the army who'd been keeping tabs on me, he was there, and we'd worked we'd worked together in Iraq as well. We'd we'd known each other since shit uh, 1991. We worked together, um, and he he was there, and Kim eventually, my American lawyer, she eventually turned up, and uh, another girl I'd been talking to in there. Um, Jess Sonati, who worked, worked for the Wall Street Journal, she's she's actually got a really good book out on out at the moment. Um, so they're there, and all the paperwork gets done. I was like, oh, it's like, okay, this is this is the real deal. It took forever because they're waiting on people and they wait for this, wait for that, and they go, they're all sitting there and everyone signed everything, and they go, hey, can we have the rep- representative from the Australian Embassy to sign it? Everyone's looking at each other because there's no one there from the Australian Embassy because they weren't allowed to move because of the security company that was running their their, their um, CP team, even though all the CP team were all Australian guys, was a Canadian. Canadian? How long do you think? It was a UK company, and they deemed security risks too great for them to go out there. So... Afghan being Afghan, I would have probably stayed there for another because I saw this with Bevan. They couldn't get anyone from the South African consulate to come and sign his paperwork, and he spent another year there going backwards and forwards between, <laughs> between officers oh, trying to get brilliant. out of jail, yeah, because they couldn't get him. And everyone's, like, looking at each other sideways, and Jess goes, yep, and grabs a pen and just signs me out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. So I, I'm forever in a debt for just moonlighting for the Australian embassy. embassy that one day. <laughs> and she and and she was the one the one reporter I come across in there. He played like I said, look, I don't want to I, I told every other reporter the same thing. I'm not going to talk to you in here. Mm. Once I get out, I'll talk to you. But you know, don't don't fuck me, please. And of course, every single one of them did, except her. And she used she used sort of used to come in to see me, just have a chat. Then she was out doing something else out there, and and um, 
we actually became pretty good friends. I'm still in touch with her now. She's, she's awesome. Um, so yeah, she signs me out, and and, and when I st- we had um, dinner around her place, like the next couple of nights, and I was I was in town. I could have stayed in town for about a week till they got the visa and shit sorted out, and just to cool let things cool down a bit and let me quietly go out as opposed to rush out. Yeah, as it is, everyone still finds out. But I got out of there pretty quietly. It was good. It was f- fairly entertaining cruising around and people not knowing who I was anymore. Yeah. Did you feel at any point that you were done? The destiny was going to be carried out, and that was it. You were done. Honestly, no, no, I didn't. You kind of just didn't accept it. We didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't accept it. I. I this Afghanistan, anything can happen. There it is. Like last few weeks of showing that. Um, it's yeah. I, I I don't know that. Like I said, that first the first one. I was like, yeah, okay, that's fucked. And you're trying to work out. You're trying to work out how you feel, and it's like. No, I sort of knew this was on the cards, and I've, I've been chasing this my whole life. I knew this when I was going to be a grunt. Um, I knew this when I went back to work as a as a contractor. It's like okay, all right, but this is shit. This, I'm not. I, no, no, not here, not now. Let's let's see what see where we go with it. It, it is there. I've. I've I don't know. I, He's sort of the the guys who are who are, who are more into their jobs, I guess. The guys the the guys I'm close with are from the military still, and, and the, especially the dudes who have gone either to Holsworthy or or Swamble. There's this acceptance that that that's that's one of the possibilities how it could turn out. Um, a lot of guys who were taught my sort of era, I guess. Um, in the 90s who were up in town. So we, we definitely one of our guys from then. We've got a completely different outlook on things that a lot of other units don't have. And it sort of made it made us what it was. You know, we fed Perth m- m- the majority of their guys from one unit and then, and then there was just everybody else, you know, at one point. It, it's, yeah, it's a weird thing. It, it, one RAR isn't that isn't the same animal anymore. Um, but you know, it's, it's interesting talking to guys that we serve, we served with how how much it has changed, but how much of an influence we had. Um, there's so many one RAR soldiers that have gone on to do other things. There's the members of parliament, the, the current governor general, he was the CEO of mine. You know, it's, it, it goes on. You know, it's. It was that sort of place. It was, um, yeah, it just, it was brutal. But, you know, the the way we treated one another brought out the best in each other as well. And it's sort of like, yeah, getting hung, that, that sucked. Everybody everybody would laugh about that. They'd go, oh, fuck, we expect to get shot somewhere or doing something stupid, you know, not not getting hung in a jail. That's, that's crap. So I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Wow. <laughs> let's, just, let's just see where we go with this. If if we're gonna if they're gonna do it, well, let's make it a good fight. 
And that's pretty much what I did. And I just, all right, we'll just get through today. I survived today. We're good. We'll do that again. We do it again and do it again. I did it for seven years. And yeah, come out the other side. So, oh, yeah. wow. So did you ever have to get like help? Did you ever have any mental health issues that you needed help for? Since I've been back? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've spoken to a few people, but sort of hit and miss with it. You sort of got to find the right person to talk to. Um, the biggest difficulty I've found is is finding someone who can I can understand the frame of reference because there's a lot of people that they just it's kind of my fucking idea. Um, they can't understand what I'm talking about because they got nothing to compare it to. There, there is nothing to compare. Yeah, exactly. It's just like you talk about how things were in the army and we were laughing about things that used to happen. And I was like, now there's, yeah. <laughs> now, now there's inquiries about that sort of thing, you know. It's like, oh, to, you know, but that, that was that was how that was part of it. I think that, that's what made it so tough. It was the way we treated one another back then. But yeah, it was probably not the right thing to do half of the time. Um, and then you go into the other side of it, or what I, I went, of my evolution went somewhere as a job to do really, really dangerous stuff um, for money. And people can't get their heads around, why would you do that? Why, why don't you want to sit at home or work in the mines in Australia? It's like, because I don't. <laughs> it's boring. Um, it's, yeah, they, they, it's trying to find someone. And when I was, when I was write, actually writing the book, I was, I was, when I went to this one um, practitioner who was, South African, so I got on with her straight away. I was like, oh, yeah, awesome. And she, because she grew up in, in Durban, and she had, and that Durban's one is a pretty dangerous place, always has been. And um, she she understood that sense of danger that you, that sort of gets into your blood, and, and some people chase it, other people say, oh, I just, oh, leave that, leave it alone. And she'd been around those sort of people for a long time. And she guys she'd gone to university with over there, and, Served in the military, and they have a term called they call it bus before in in Afrikaans. Essentially, it's shell shock, um, post traumatic stress. That's, that's what it is. That's what they call it. And she, and so she got it. She'd seen it. She'd grown up with it. And then she became a psychologist, and and she could understand how you can deal with it. And I had, yeah, I saw. I went to her for a few months. And at the end of it, she was going, look, you, you've got the tools yourself. You know, you're smart enough. You know, you know what's going on. You just got to stay focused on that. And, and that's what I've sort of, that's what I've, I've been doing up to this, up to the last few months. But I think a lot of it is just I've been, been away from everything that I'm used to in, in Africa so long now. I'm so, and there's, there's a lot I'm getting. As occasionally I feel the same way as I felt when I'm in when I was in jail over here because you, you there's stuff to do and there's always you always moving forward but sometimes it just feels like a bigger cage because I, there's no end to it you know there's it, it, it's that all right we're just going to do it again tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and, and it's that same feeling and sometimes that 
wears me down a bit. And um, but you know, you go and have a few sessions with somebody, and you okay, you get back on track, you're good to go. It's it, it's something, yeah. I sometimes it can be just talking to somebody else who's smart enough and or knows enough about you to like draw it out of you. Um, you know, you you meet you meet some people along the way, and and in the, the strangest of circumstances, and they'll say one thing to you, and, and you go, "Okay, that's actually pretty awesome." And right, I'm I'm good again now. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a string. It it, it can be someone who just he has a bit more of an understanding of of how you work, or sometimes even strangers are better because. There's no hang-ups on what you're going to say. You know, it's it is the interesting thing. I I would like to do more of that sort of thing, and I'm seriously considering studying it a bit. But um, yeah, I don't okay. know. Yeah, like counselling or psychology yeah, I, type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've got myself through it essentially, and it was I didn't really have a problem until, or didn't have really have a problem, I guess. I knew there's issues I had to address, and I have done that, and I still I'm still doing that. I have went through a patch not too long ago, and I couldn't sleep, and kept on getting woken up by dreams of dreaming about over there, and I was, yeah, I don't know, like, that rattled me a little bit. I wasn't expecting that, and now it's all good again. So, so you yeah. think you definitely had a bit of post traumatic stress? Yeah, well, I hate to admit it, but yeah. <laughs> Well, it's it's a natural it's a natural thing for us to feel those things after being exposed to a situation like that. Mm. I mean, I can't even imagine it. Yeah, but I've talked to a lot of people who have been through very varying stages of trauma in the last probably year or so, um, and it's interesting in the sense that. It doesn't matter what the level of trauma is, how because because I was talking to them about what happened to me, and they'll talk to me about what happened to them, and they go, "Oh yeah, but that's nothing compared to what happened to you." And I'm going, "Well, no, it is because one, you're a lot younger, and when you went through that, you're at this stage of your life. I, I went through that when I'm in my thirties. I'd been a soldier for fifteen years. I've been doing stupid shit for a little bit longer." After that, um, I'm, it sort of it, it doesn't matter. It, it's the same level uh, how it affects the person. The life experience um, has a lot to do with that, and what you can deal with. And some people, I know, I'm in lockdown, and, and they and people are laughing at them because they're they're like that. And I, and I mean, I made a comment earlier about it was the same thing, and it's a bit shit. But yeah, it, you got to you got to put it into context it, it, that. Yeah, there's younger people, different sort of life experience. I'm, I'm someone who grew up out in the desert and I'm used to being on my own. I like it and um, I can deal with a lot of shit. But, and that's even before you get to what I've been doing for the last you know, 30 odd years. You can bear it to someone who's been through a sexual assault or something or even just a fight that traumatized them afterwards. It's the same. It affects them the same. It, it, it's stupid not to say, oh, that's nothing, though. What's wrong with them? You know, that's that's a shit thing to say because 
it's it's a matter of perspective, man. It's their, exactly, their life yeah. experience yep. isn't as much. They haven't got those calluses on their on their psyche that that allows them to just shrug that shit off. It's like, yeah, okay. So, I, yeah, I, it, I've had some interesting conversations over the last year, and it sort of opened my eyes up to that a bit more. So, yeah, everyone's on their own journey for sure. Exactly, exactly. You don't you don't know what what got those people to that point. And um, how they've dealt with it is, um, yeah, their own thing. As some people deal with things differently. Yeah. You say that you you're not a good person. Yeah, I don't think I am. But you're an honest one. Yeah, I'll try to be. So you don't think you're a good person? Mm, I try and balance it out a bit, but. I've done some, yeah, done some questionable things over the years. Yeah. But I mean, the situation that got you into into prison was self defence, um, mm. and you know that's that's what that is. Obviously, different people with different beliefs about war and that sort of thing in the Middle East will have a, a different thing to say. But uh, yeah, h- how do you feel about what put you in there in the first place? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't lose any sleep over it. Mm. If that's what you mean, it doesn't. That's that's sort of where I go with that. I mean, that's I talk I talk the guys. Some of the guys I've spoken to have who mainly American guys. I know who he'd done some pretty foreign shit. Um, who had some issues, and a lot of them are, are devout Christians. It's an American thing, you know. I, I sort of like some of those guys because it doesn't bleed into their personal relationships with other people. It's their thing, and they keep it separate. Uh, but they can, and yeah, I I think that's pretty cool. It, it, if that that's what gets you, you're like more power to you, man. Okay, but it's it's the ones that try and ram it here right, that piss me off. Um, he, some of these guys have trouble dealing with. The fact they put so many hats on the ground as part of their job, and I was like, "Mate, you know, <laughs> they were bad people. You you look what's going on now. They're not good people. It was going to happen. Someone was going to do it. Don't let it bother you. The one, the things that bother me are the ones, the things that you tried to do and didn't pull off, or it just didn't work out, and." and because that's a regret. That's something that you didn't do. It's to have regrets about things. Don't have regrets about things you didn't you did do. Because it's like, right, we made a choice at the time. It's what happened there. Move on. It was shit, but it is what it is. It's I. Yeah, I don't regret much I've done. Uh, it's and you say that, like, interestingly enough, that um, anger is one of the things that got you through each. Yeah. Each day and each yeah, uh, hold you on. Up. It's you hold on to it because it, it is strong. It, it, it's like you don't you don't want to back. You don't want to give them the satisfaction of, of losing out again. I, I think a lot of that come from one RAR when I was younger and the way way we were would do section and platoon competitions and. And it didn't matter if you come in last, you just came in. 
you know, you get you get harassed by everybody. What the fuck are you front and you just get smashed and smashed and smashed. And you, and you just wouldn't quit. And guys have their legs hanging off and they're still carrying shit. You know? it, it was it yeah, it's um it's an interesting thing because, yeah, like where I am now, and like when you come out of that, if if you've used anger all that time to keep you carry you through, then, you know, and now you're in an environment where that's possibly not the best option. Um, yeah, you got to come up with other tools to deal with that, you know, or at least try and focus it in a way where you don't scare the shit out of people. But obviously, in the situation you were in. That was a helpful tool for you at no, the time. Yeah, yeah. But there, there is, there is, uh, you know, I don't like really coming right, right out of that, um, especially now back here because I just, yeah, you just get locked up. Um, but again, as I said, if, if, I, if I'm not, if I'm in a particularly not a bad mood, but I'm not I'm not in, the, in a good place. If I'm at work or something, I just I just go see the boss. I listen. I've got to go. I'm just going to take off a bit because it's and they they know what's going on. They, they understand it fully. I just go. Yep. Yep. Everyone else, where's he? Where's he going? Just leave him. Just leave him. Alone. And it's a bit. And it is the best option. You just, you just go somewhere and I clear my head and come back next day. It's fine. It's better to walk away these days, this place anyway. Well, Rob, mate, I really appreciate your time you've given me. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Yeah. Yeah, mate, all the best in the future and hope all goes well for you. Well, that's it. Thank you so much, Rob Langdon, for joining us and telling your story. If you would like to read his book, The Seventh Circle, I will include the link in the show notes. Thanks again. Take care. Tear It Down is a 610 Media production. A special thanks to Audio Technica and Zoom for supporting me throughout my podcast journey. The cover art was by my talented sister-in-law, Courtney Woods. Theme song, beat number three, by Bubba Beats. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you are listening to this now. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Tear It Down Podcast and also at 610 Media Group. If you want to get in touch, you can head to 610mediagroup.com or send an email to info at 610mediagroup.com. That's S-I-X and the number 10. Cheers. If this episode has brought up any issues for you, please seek help. You can reach Lifeline at 131114.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.